Let's bow our hearts together again and seek the Lord's face in prayer at this time. The eternal loving Father, we thank you, dear Father, again for the opportunity to worship your name this morning. Thank you for the health and strength that finds us here, for the simple truth that we are here in your sovereign purpose and care. Each and every one of us are here by divine appointment. And we pray, O oh God, that this time together will be a time to nurture and encourage our faith. We pray you'd edify us in grace again this morning. We pray, O oh Lord, immediately for some, even around this table now, who do not know the Lord Jesus. We pray that this time would not be a time of hardening for them, but rather a time when you open their eyes and cause them to behold the wonders of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, I pray in light of our text this morning, reveal your arm to lost souls today, that they would come to believe the gospel and be saved. Thank you for the work of our Lord and Savior. Thank you for this ordinance instituted for our benefit. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would indeed remember Christ today. As we come in our hearts and our minds to consider the Lord May indeed our hearts be blessed. Stir, O Lord, the highest thoughts of the Savior into your hearts. Help us to love our Savior, to love him more than ourselves and more than this world. O Lord, may we put to death every idol and may Christ be exalted in all of our hearts. And so bless the word. Bless it to your hearts right now. Remember those who cannot be here in person, some may trust watching on and listening in. Oh God, may you nourish and encourage your people today. We do pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Now please turn your Bibles once more this month to Isaiah chapter 53. Again, we have, over the last couple of months, began a series of studies through this 53rd chapter. But again, today I want to begin back in chapter 52, uh, reading from the verse number 7. So Isaiah 52, reading from the verse number 7. And the word of God says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart ye. Depart ye, go ye out from hence, touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her, be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your reward. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed or report? 
And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Amen. We'll end there again at verse number 1 of chapter 53. It is that first verse that I want to return to one more time in this series of studies. It is so vitally important to what will follow. Because the gospel, the report that is mentioned here in verse 53, is the good news concerning the coming Messiah, the suffering servant of Jehovah. The servant mentioned in Isaiah 52, verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. The reports, the news that is presented is the report regarding this servant. And of course, we know that Isaiah 53 is fulfilled in history in the man Jesus of Nazareth. And so immediately we are encouraged to see Isaiah 53 in light of what it says regarding the life and ministry of this man Jesus. Paul in Romans chapter 10 makes it clear, using verse 7 of chapter 52, makes it clear that this good news, this report, is indeed the gospel of peace that comes through the life and ministry of our Lord and Savior. Yet, yet though this report is good tidings of good, it is rejected by many. In the verse 1 of chapter 53 we have seen is quoted in the New Testament in the context of the rejection of the gospel. Both John 12 and Romans chapter 10 quote this verse in the setting of rejection. So it says, who hath believed or report? It is a question that presupposes the answer, not many. Not many. Most reject the gospel. And as Romans 10 says, for they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed or report? And so that's understanding of the first part of verse 53 does indeed govern our understanding of the second part, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. And I want to think of that connection this morning between these two parallel terms, believing the report and the revealing of the arm of the Lord. What is this matter of the arm of the Lord being revealed? Well, I have two, two headings, one very brief and the other we'll spend the rest of our time considering. The first thing regarding the arm of the Lord being revealed is that this revelation is a metaphor of God's power. So when it says the arm of the Lord, it is a metaphor, it is a pictorial term for the power of God. God who has no body, God who is spirit, has a mighty arm. And it's used consistently in the Bible to refer to his power, particularly his power in operation in the world. The arm of God functions. It is not simply an attribute of God. He is powerful. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. But that power is demonstrated in the world. And the arm of God works in this world, displaying his power. You think of Psalm 118, where it says, The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. But turn back to Psalm 98, please. The right hand of the Lord that doeth valiantly in Psalm 118 is the same arm of God, his right hand, and his holy arm that is mentioned in the Psalm 98. Or as the psalmist begins, he says, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. You see this idea of the arm of God working in such a fashion, this time in the language to secure victory? 
And of course, the victory over Satan is the ultimate victory of God in this world. And so you see verse number 2, in connection with his right hand and his holy arm, it says, The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. And so this metaphor that's used here is a metaphor of God's power, but particularly God's power being made known in the realm of salvation. He hath made known his salvation. His arm works. His arm works as he makes his salvation known, and his righteousness he openly shows in the sight of the heathen. And so you'll see immediately how that corresponds to Isaiah 52 and the verse number 10. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Again, we have the difficulty sometimes of trying to determine, well, when does this happen? When does verse 10 come to pass? Does it come to pass in the restoring of the people from captivity? From Babylon, when they come back to the promised land, is that a demonstration of the power of God in the nations? Of course it is. But verse number 9 says, The Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. And that must take us back to the opening verse of chapter 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, the consolation of Israel. And the whole section is the coming of Messiah into this world as the consolation of Israel. And so what you see, therefore, is this metaphor of God's power has a particular significance in the manifestation of God's purpose. So heading one, a metaphor of God's power. Leading secondly, to this power as a manifestation of God's salvific purposes, his redemptive purposes. He hath made bare his holy arm in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That ministry that has as its scope all the nations of the world. And so the revelation of God's arm speaks of God's purpose on display. And that comes in at least three senses. Okay, so three ways in which this arm of God is revealed in redemption. First of all, in the events of the gospel. In the actual historical event of the gospel, God's power is on public display. The gospel does not happen in a corner. It's not hidden out of view. It is a very public manifestation of God's power. You think of the words that the angel spoke to Mary. How can this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel responds and says, The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. The arm of God is the power of God. And now Mary is being told that the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, because the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Mary and Joseph. In Bethlehem, they could see the face of their babe and say, this is the part of God. Isn't that incredible? That as they wrapped that little one in swaddling bands, they both understood and they could testify to the shepherds and they could testify to the wise men, this is the part of God being revealed. 
It's also, of course, the case that when the Lord, after his baptism and after his time in the wilderness of temptation, he returns to Galilee in the power of the Holy Ghost. Luke chapter 4, indicating again that his entire ministry was in the power of God. And so his ministry and his miracles are what? They're a continual public revelation of the arm of God. The arm of God is displayed in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also the case that in Hebrews chapter 9, we are told that Christ offered himself through the eternal spirit. The power of the Spirit of God was necessary for the man Christ Jesus to hang upon the cross and to die for your sins. The power of God is manifest as the God-man endures the pains and the agonies of the cross on our behalf. Such is humanity that his humanity is strengthened by the Spirit of God whereby the power of God is seen. The darkness descends upon our Savior. The crushing darkness, the overwhelming darkness, in that time and at that hour, the Lord is sustained by the power of the Spirit of God. So when the darkness lifts and the Savior cries, it is finished. It is a display of the awesome power of God. And redemption has been accomplished. And the power of God is made known in the world. And of course, we also know, don't we, that when Christ is brought again from the dead, we know that in Ephesians chapter 1, it describes uh, the mighty power of God wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And so when the Lord rises, without the aid of any man, he rises in the power of God's. And they come and the stone is rolled away. And the Lord's, the, the grave clothes are laid in place. We're seeing again what? We're seeing a mighty display of the power of God's. God's power is made manifest in the events of the gospel. But it's also revealed, the power of God is also revealed in the explanation of the gospel. So not just in the events themselves, but in how those events are explained that also is a revelation of the power of God. Again, back to Isaiah 52 and the verse number 10. The Lord hath made bare his arm in the eyes of all the nations. Well, in what sense is the power of God manifest to the nations? Well, it is through the continuing ministry of Christ in the work of the apostles. Christ began to do and teach in the gospel of Luke. And that continues in the book of Acts. As the mighty arm of God is revealed to the nations. And Paul expresses that reality. Turn please to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Where Paul, as he describes his preaching of the gospel to Corinth... Again, to the nations, to the heathen, he describes his preaching, and he says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. Verse number 8, which none of the princes of this world knew it. The hiddenness, if you like, of the power of God, hidden from man's view. They did not perceive what was happening. But then, verse number 9, quoting from Isaiah 64 
It is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. And so you're seeing here, in the apostolic explanation of the events, what you're seeing here is the arm of God being revealed to the apostles by the Spirit. And we have a Bible, this book, is a revelation of the mighty arm of God. God's arm explaining the events of the gospel, telling us what did it mean for Jesus to hang upon the tree? What's the significance of that? How does the Bible tie together the Old and the New Testament that we would see in Christ an atoning sacrifice? A propitiation, one bearing away the wrath of God that we would see the mighty arm of God being revealed. We were not there in the manger in Bethlehem. We were not on the shores of Galilee seeing the miracles of Christ. We did not stand beside the, the, the cross and behold the darkness and the power of God at that point. We certainly were not there in the garden when Christ rose again from the dead. But we are no less privileged in seeing the mighty arm of God revealed because God has given us this book. Revealing the arm of God to the nations. We are the blessed recipients of the explanation of the gospel. What do the apostles say? We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We do not know all that God has for us. But we know that we will not be paupers in God's kingdom. We'll receive every blessing that Christ has purchased on our behalf. The mighty arm of God is revealed, isn't it? in the events of the gospel, and in the explanation of the gospel. But turning back again to Isaiah 53, we must see more than even that. These things are true. But in Isaiah 53, verse number 1, these two questions, they come as parallels. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And so the sense is, that those who believe the report are those to whom the arm of the Lord has been personally revealed. And so the third way in which the arm of the Lord is revealed is in what I might term our personal engagement with the gospel. The power of God was seen in the first century. The power of God is seen in the scriptures. But the power of God also comes to us individually when we come to believe the gospel. There's a process that leads up to that point. Uh, we certainly encounter the scriptures. We have the privilege of receiving the word of God and the Bible that reveals the arm of the Lord. We, we come to see that revealed to the apostles that we would come to hear what the gospel is all about, that we would receive the message, yes. We come to accept that events are true. We come to ex accept that the explanation is true. In other words, we are convinced that the arm of the Lord is really what is behind these events. So you can hear about Christ and dying on a cross, and you can hear claims of resurrection, but you may not believe that those things are the arm of God. But by God's grace, you come to realize what is represented on this table is the mighty arm of God being revealed. And you come to realize that. Because you come to see the arm of God 
is at work for us personally, the work of the Spirit in a personal revealing of God's arm to our hearts. This is proven from our text because the report can be heard but not believed. Who hath believed or report? It is possible for people to hear the report of the mighty arm of God, but not believe that. And so to believe that, there must be an inward work of the Spirit of God. You see, we see this in how our text in Isaiah is used in John chapter 12. Turn back, please, to John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, I've pointed this out to you in the last couple of studies. We see that John reports the quotation, verse number 38, the Lord again dealing with the unbelief. But though he had done so many miracles among them, yet they believed not on him. And John explains that, that the saying of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. John's explaining what's happening here. He takes Isaiah 53, the unbelief of the report. He refers that back to Isaiah chapter 6, and uses Isaiah chapter 6 to explain the reason for their unbelief, referred to in Isaiah 53. And what is the reason? Blind eyes, a hard heart, deaf ears also assumed in the text. Now here, be careful. Isaiah 6 is quoted in different ways in the Scriptures. And the concept of Isaiah 6 is used sometimes in direct quotations and other times by way of inference and implication. And it's sometimes it's used in a way to teach that the Word of God can harden the heart of the unbeliever. They hear the message. They refuse to believe the message. And therefore, in their rejection of the message, they harden their own hearts. It's also used at times to indicate here, as it is here, the Lord's sovereign hardening of people's hearts. But we know from the Word of God that God hardens the hearts of people as they harden their own hearts. There's Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And over in Matthew chapter 13, in the context of the parables, again, Matthew says this, Matthew 13, verse 15, For this people's heart is white gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. A personal rejection of the gospel. And so, Again, be careful how you understand Isaiah chapter 6. It does not absolve the unbeliever of their personal responsibility. But it does prove this. That for those who believe, the reverse is true. Their eyes are opened, their ears are opened, and their hearts are softened. And so the arm of God is revealed. Internally, in our hearts, individually, whereby we come to believe personally because God has revealed His arm to us and in us personally. Both are true. How do you come to believe the arm of God that has been revealed? 
because of the power of God that's been working in you, individually, in your heart. Opening your eyes, unstopping your ears, and softening your heart to receive the Word of God. Of course, there's a beautiful picture of this in the story of Lydia. The Lord opened her heart that she would receive the things that Paul had spoken unto her. One day, that happened in your heart. The mighty arm of God worked in your soul. You may have been two or three years old. But God changed your hearts, opened your eyes, and you came to understand the arm of God is revealed in the gospel. And so we come around this table to remember Christ. And we are remembering that the arm of God has been revealed in these events. We're here to worship God afresh and to praise God. His arm is not behind his back. It is not redundant. It is an arm that worked mightily in this world whereby you and I can know peace with God, soul salvation, and a sure and certain home of heaven. That is through the arm of God. And as we take these elements, maybe worship God afresh for that mighty arm. And maybe also remember that we remember Christ by faith. And thereby worship God for his personal touch. His touch in your heart individually. That you're open to receive the blessed truth of the gospel. Revealing the work of God in this work of redemption. Amen. May God help us to worship him right this morning as we come to receive the elements.